0: You are listening to the magnetic marketing marketing secret gold members only podcast. In television, uh in the infomercial industry, for the four-year period of time that I was most active, uh, my record was one winner for every eight. Um, and in the industry, that's like terrific. Uh if you're funding the other seven shows, it ain't so spectacular. But Uh, But yet, if you funded all eight of them, it's fine because one in eight, you wind up making a lot of money. But if you looked at that like success or failure, you'd eventually quit, wouldn't you? I mean, if whatever you were doing, if seven out of every eight times you bungled it and you look at it as success or failure, you'd probably go find something else to do. Uh, But that's not, you know, that's not what it really is. What it really is, is is an ongoing process of testing. Of, and, and the challenge is, uh, A, not to worry about what succeeds and what fails. The, the, the big challenge is to determine what's not going to work as quick and cheap as you possibly can so you can stop doing it and concentrate on the things you find that do work. And you've got to do a lot of stuff that doesn't work in order to keep finding winners. Um, you know if you got an ad that worked for you and now it's starting to sag and you're gonna put new headlines on it the chances of just writing one and testing that and having it win are not very good You may have test six seven eight nine ten of them before you got yourself another winner that you can live with for six months or eight months or twelve months or a year and and it's very hard to bypass that process But if you think in terms of success or failure ah, I did five ads none of them work you get depressed you beat yourself up you get frustrated you quit so seeing this in the frame of testing rather than success or failure is important. The other, the other corollary to this uh, comes from, from Maltz and um, basically what he discovered, and he used the analogy of guided missile te- technology, but what he discovered is something that everybody knows if they stop to think about it, and that is that very few people get from where they are to where they want to be in a straight line. But an enormous amount of unnecessary frustration uh, it develops by thinking that you should. Uh, it, it, you cause yourself a lot of pain by, by thinking or feeling that you should be able to uh, uh, set this goal and move towards it uh, in a perfect straight line uh, and get there in a straight line. That's not how anybody gets anywhere. Um, uh, people get places... Uh, m- m- malts found with with one of two patterns. Uh, m- most ordinary people get there kind of like that, and uh, some people get there with tight little zigs and zags. Uh, this process is faster just because it's tighter. But nobody gets there that way. That way. Uh, the difference between those two is 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 clarity. Is knowing what you're trying to accomplish. Uh, That's the difference between loose, sloppy, and tight zigzags, but nobody gets there straight. And so if you don't expect to get there straight, uh, that opens up a lot of options for you with alternative plans, and if this doesn't work, I'm going to try that, and I'm going to test this, and if that doesn't work, I'm going to do this, uh, without being um, annoyed or frustrated or aggravated about it. you know, just as there's 100 success factors we can talk about, you can reverse them, and there's 100 failure factors. Um, but most marketing, most pure marketing failures, not business failures, but pure marketing failures, um, uh, are largely the result of, of, of missing one of the key bases. You've either, you've either identified an unresponsive market or you got a bad message slash offer. You're trying to sell something that people don't want uh, or trying to sell something to the wrong people or trying to do it by the wrong mechanism. You know, so it comes back to the message market media. Uh, uh, most of the failures come from that. Um, you know, Even people get themselves in trouble doing stuff like that. I mean, you take a guy like uh, Peterman right now, um, uh, who I'll mention a couple times during the day, but you've probably all seen the news—the Jay Peterman uh, uh, clothing guy who uh, that made fun of on Seinfeld, but you know is a real guy, real business. Uh, I always tell—I've told people for years—to get his catalogs and study his copy because his copywriting is phenomenal. Uh, He's—I um, don't know—he may be out of business by now. I think on Wednesday he had 72 hours or something. Um, to find a buyer, or uh, new financing, or the bankruptcy court was going li- to liquidate him. Um, and, and this is a company that went from uh, $10 million in profits to serious deficits in a one-year period of time, and maybe three or four reasons for it, but the main reason is uh, that the NumNut with a, a fabulously successful mail order business decided to go open up a bunch of retail stores. Mm-hmm. Now. That's called wrong media. (coughs) You know, he's got funky, weird, um, oddball products, or the mundane products he sells, he changes them into funky, weird, oddball products with the copy. So now you put it on a shelf for people to look at it. It's no wonder they don't buy it, you know. I mean, when I heard he was going to open stores, I thought, well, there's a guy about to put himself out of business. I mean, Falheimer almost did it with Sharper Image, but Peterman, it's even more. Because, like, you're buying, I mean, the example I always use is I bought two navy blazers for the same navy blazer twice. I mean, he got me twice. And I, you know, and I think this thing is 300 bucks or 400 but it's more than I would ever pay for just a sport jacket. And it's a blue navy blazer. That's all it is. Blue blazer, three brass buttons. End of story. But yeah, I mean, you buy one in anywhere in town you want for half for 175 bucks. It's either 395 or 495. I don't know what it is. But you buy it because it it's the David Niven blazer and the story of you know walking out of the bomb crater, perfectly pressed. Everybody else, wreckage all around you, ready for your martini. The st- <laughs> That's why you buy. Well, you can't do that in a st- guy walks into the store and says blue blazer, huh? right? I mean, what are you going to do? It just made no sense whatsoever. So the guy put him, shifted himself into wrong media and killed himself. So most marketing mistakes are not this kind of stuff. They are their core marketing mistakes. Now, how do people put themselves on b- bigger issues in business? Uh, it's all this kind of stuff. But the marketing stuff is usually actually pretty simple. I mean, you can look at just about every... Uh, either successful business that turned around and failed or a business that didn't make it and you can find the problem in one of those three places sometimes all of them but at least in one of them um, there's Burger King Burger King is a fabulous example uh, they got a they got a core message problem that they refused to fix see Burger King they've been through every ad agency in New York now three times they fire them, hire the next one and now they've got to go back to ones they fired because they used them all up they keep thinking they're going to fix this with advertising. And what they continue to stubbornly try and advertise, which is why, McDonald's, by the way, they do worse than McDonald's kicks their butt, Wendy's kicks their butt. They're like fifth now in areas where there's jack-in-a-box, jack-in-a-box kicks their butt. Um, they're, see, But what they don't get, they can't figure out why they can't beat McDonald's. But look at all their advertising. The message they rely on most is that our food's better. They always want to tell you about the latest thing was the french fry taste test and how their french fries are better than McDonald's. And the burgers frame, well we all know it's a better burger. We already know that. And that ain't working. See, they forgot they were in the fast food business. Keyword fast. Right. And what people go to those places for is fast, not good. If you want good, you don't go to any of them. Right. See, if you want good, you go like to a restaurant, you know. But they go there because they want fast. And see, McDonald's wins the battle because they're fastest, and they get your butt in and out of there. I mean, you can be in order, stuff it down your throat, and leave in three minutes. Burger King, you're still standing at the counter. There's chaos everywhere. They can't. Nobody's, there's no system. There's no. It's just chaotic they need to they need to fix their system so they got a message problem they're all hung up trying to sell something that is not what the consumer not what their consumer wants so they got a message problem core marketing problem and and, and they've never fixed it but the bottom line is the fast food wars quality never wins it never has and it never will because you sacrifice speed to deliver quality and what the consumer wants most from fast food is fast That's why Arby's has never. They got the same. They got the Burger King. Probably got the same problem Burger King guys. They they can't get the food out fast. Their system is just horrendous, and 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 they've never fixed it. Now, the idiots at Taco Bell are about to. You know, they've now added more menu items than we got people in the room. (laughs) You know, I mean, so their 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 pace is slowing. It's taking longer. And if you read the food industry magazines. They're, they're starting to get in trouble. And the reason they're in trouble, they're losing customers, is because it takes too long to get the damn food. And, um, you know. They got that little dog. They do have that dog. Yep. His question is, there's millions of books. How do you figure out what to read? You buy and read the ones I tell you to buy and read. That's how you... That's how you... That's how, huh? That's how... Oh, what's my system? Um, I read a lot. Yeah. And... Um, uh, I was going to talk about this later too, but and, and I speed read, so I am able to read a lot. Um, and I think you should read a lot. And if you don't read a lot, you fix that. And if one of the problems is you read slow, you fix that. And um, uh, the speed reader guy is over here, Howard Berg, who you've seen on TV. You might not recognize him because he's dressed like a farmer or something here. <laughs> slapping around in his coveralls also. Uh, but... Um, uh, Howard's like the number one speed reading guy in the country. I mean, if you, re- if you read slow, go get his course and then read fast. But, uh, I mean, there's stuff you can do. You know, there's executive book summaries. There's a company out there that that condenses business books into one-page summaries and sends you 50 of them a month or something. Uh, there's one that puts them on tape. You can do the books on tape deal. If you've got time in your car when you can't read, you can listen. Um, but... Um, Um, The only way you find stuff like this is going through a lot of stuff. Uh, I didn't find it by reading an article about it. I didn't read a review about it. Nobody told me about it. It's just because I read 50 books in that category that month and found a good one. Um, and, And I don't have a better answer for you. Man, you did mention 10 books. Yeah, I mean, it was, I wasn't really serious about the 10. I mean, it was, it's like an arbitrary pull-it-out-of-my-butt number. It's not a... I mean, uh, yeah, but you know, you, but... You would certainly read the personal development classic. I mean, if you're starting from scratch, like if you got got a new salesperson in your company or your kid is finally ready to pay attention to you and maybe do something you want to tell them to do. Uh, if you're starting somebody from scratch, you'd certainly have them read the personal development classics. I mean, Think and Grow Rich, Magic of Thinking Big, How to Win Friends and Influence People. Um, um, you, you know, that stuff. Uh, in, in marketing, you would go read the equivalent, the old stuff, uh, Robert Collier stuff, uh, 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 James Kennedy stuff. Um, you know, so if you've got a big used bookstore in your town, that's a nifty place to go start. And I would put Ringer's book on the list as a must. I would put Psycho-Cybernetics as a must. Um, again, that's all classic. You know, it's largely classic stuff. I guess you could call Ringer classic by now. At least it's old. The numbers of people uh, eager to tell you how you ought to do things in your business or in your life is almost endless. <laughs> Often repetitive. Uh, and uh, the the bad news about all that is is that ultimately they all go away, um, and you're still stuck with you. So uh, my idea is is that you move ever closer to engineering things to be the way you want them to be, uh, regardless of what anybody else thinks. Um, and um, if that means you want to dress like a farmer, then you dress like you know you dress like a farmer. And if you want to wear your baseball cap backwards everywhere you go, like not, but you know, you you got a headband on. I thought it was a baseball cap, but I mean, if that's what you want to do, then that's what you want to do. Um, and you, you can you can do about anything you want to do and get the marketplace to accept it. Uh, I are uh, the first Gary Halbert seminar I spoke at. How many of you get Gary stuff? You okay. first Halbert seminar I spoke at seven thousand dollars per person seminar. I mean, you want to talk about brass? You know, I don't know about hundred people there they've each paid $7,000 a piece and uh, Halbert comes strolling in in, uh, in, in shorts um, a t-shirt with a fish on it and he not shaved and he's got a baseball cap on that says clients suck on the front of it. <laughs> and I'm thinking I'll be damned yeah? uh, he's probably going to offend somebody Uh, But uh, uh, positioned properly, uh, the bottom line is they'll tolerate anything from them. Uh, You know, the joke was the seminar in Key West, I mean, you can't pick a place harder to get to than Key West, Florida from most places in the United States. I mean, it's horrendous. So logic says, I have this with boot camp clients all the time. You know, let's put, we should put the thing in Atlanta so it's easy to get to. No, it don't matter. You can put it, have it at home. Where do you live? Well, I live in this place that it's four puddle jumps to get to, and yeah, fine, have it there. Don't make any difference. If you position you and it properly, and you market properly, they'll tolerate anything. So you can do anything you want to do, any damn way you want to do it, and figure out how to sell it to the marketplace, and so your personal satisfaction ought to come first. Nothing is worse than winding up with a success you don't like. Um, Pretty early in my speaking career, I was at a rally. Uh, like these Peter Lowe events, but it wasn't a Peter Lowe event. But it was, you know, 10, 12 speakers. We were in the San Diego Sports Coliseum. Big event. And a very successful speaker, big name in the business, was on right before me. And so we're standing in the back. And as he goes up the ladder to go to the stage, he turns to me sort of with a disgusted look on his face and says, I'd sure as shit rather be out playing golf today. And I thought to myself, not good. Uh, Not good for the audience, but really not good for him. Now, one day, if it's an aberrant day, we all have them, you know? Uh, But if that's the feeling every day, what a horrible thing he has crafted for himself. Because he has got himself trapped in a success he don't like. So when I talk to speakers today, I talk to them about you know the first thing you got to just figure out who the hell you want to speak to and what do you want to talk about, and how are you going to get there? You may not be able to start there, but how do you want to get there? Because you don't want to wind up spending your life talking to people you don't like or talking about a subject you're not interested in. Uh, you make money that way. That's easy. Uh, the, the older I get, the more profound it becomes to me. If you, if all you want to do is make money, that's easy. But if you want to make money in a way that is enjoyable and exciting and you've got to attach a lot of parameters to it, it gets more difficult. But if you don't attach the parameters to it, you're not going to be particular, you're going to become miserable regardless of how much money you make. Um, and so you begin to understand, sometimes I say to myself, you see these people who are, like I, I often joke, if I was Sly sli- stul- 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 Stallone, I'd be making Rocky 412, you know. They'd be, it, it, we, for $10 million a picture, Put the boxing gloves on, in the wheelchair, wheel them into the ring, uh, you know. Good hit, the dentures go flying, you know. And you say to yourself, why would anybody walk away from that? You know, you got, every year people leave hit television shows where they're making 50 grand a week, 100 grand a week, 200 grand a week, and they walk away. And most of them walk away into oblivion, whether they think that's where they're going or not. And you say to yourself, why the they, you know, Seinfeld? I mean, everybody said, and, and I said it. You know, one side of me said it too. Why the hell would you walk away from this? You know, you get a seat. I mean, you get a seat anywhere. You get a seat in any restaurant you want. In the, you know, you're, I mean, you get anything you want. And now you're you're going to risk oblivion and they're paying you all this money to show up to not probably work very hard. And how are you going to replicate that? But the other side of me understands it. Because to do it, that person has to have reached a point where they build a success they no longer like. And no amount of money is worth it for that person to come in and do that thing that no longer interests them. I understand that. So I think it's important to build an enormous amount of personal satisfaction into what you do uh, and to uh, think of uh, how you're going to feel about what you do now and next year and five years from now when you do it and engineer where you're going to go along those same lines uh, there's what I call the trade-off factor everything has pluses and minuses, everything you get you lose something in order to get it, everything's got a price tag, I have some profound personal preferences that make it impossible for me to say yes to certain financial opportunities and like number one on my list is no employees and so, but that's just me, that doesn't necessarily need to be you, but that's me. And so there are people right here in the room who uh, uh, do things that are very lucrative and profitable that I know how to do, and in some cases help them do that I don't do, purely because I refuse to staff to do it. And like right up on my list of things that under no circumstances am I willing to do is have staff. I just, I mean I'd rather have a root canal without anesthesia and my nails pulled out with pliers, then you know, interview, hire and manage a staff person. The whole thing just turned my stomach, and I've been able to engineer a successful business without it, but I sure have passed up on a lot of stuff in order to have that. Um, I had a client some years ago, uh, added, added a telemarketing room, added telemarketing to his business and uh, the first year quadrupled the profits and uh, then he closed down the whole telemarketing operation and a lot of people thought he was nuts but I understood he just said it wouldn't matter if it multiplied the profits by 500 times I ain't going to deal with that anymore it's just not worth it to me Um, and so I think you have to and I believe that uh, ultimately you ought to put your personal and your lifestyle preferences uh, ahead of profit and figure out a way to engineer your business to meet your preferences not tolerate stuff that you don't like or don't want to do or that you find unethical or whatever in order to get the dough. There's so many different ways to make money um, that, 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 that you don't need to um, do things you don't want to do. Which brings us to clarity. Um, when you do a lot of consulting, and I do a lot of consulting, uh, and some people in the room do consulting, what you discover is it's really easy to stump people with like the first three questions. <laughs> it don't take much. Uh, every once in a while, somebody comes into a consulting session who's given it a lot of thought beforehand. But for the most part, uh, you pretty much you get into a question like, describe in detail for me exactly what you want your business to look like in three years, and that's it. Now you've, the day's over. Because they can't do it. Um, uh, years ago, we used to do multi-day personal development seminars where we spend the whole first day on goals, you know, written goals, and all the stuff you've heard seven million times. And uh, then the second day, uh, uh, we would uh, offer $100 bills to everybody that had written goals with them. And we'd do it to the audience this size. Here's hundreds. How many of them got them? You know, rarely. And they'd give away three, four hundred bucks in the whole room. Because you know, people don't take the time to get clear on what it is that they want. Uh, The flip side of that is, which a lot of people who talk about this don't either talk about it or don't agree with it, but I believe it's just as important, just as useful, maybe even more useful and certainly easier to figure out what you definitely don't want. And that's an okay place to start. Jeff Paul, who's going to talk to you a little later this afternoon for a little while, um, I mean, Jeff started there with being profoundly certain of a handful of things that he did not want in his life and did not want to do under any circumstances for any amount of money and that a business had to be built that did not require those things. (coughs) Uh, That's as good a path to a clear vision as is trying to figure out what it is that you do want. And sometimes it's a lot easier and a really nifty exercise if you haven't done it is the top ten list of things that you absolutely do not want in your life no matter what. Um, uh, that, That can get you to clarity pretty quick. Um, um, you know the Robert, the Robert Redford movie that was out a while ago with the "Would You Sleep with Him for a Million Dollars?" Deal, remember that movie? A lot of people sagely said, "You know, the response to that would be different if it wasn't Redford." <laughs> um, you know, I mean, well, think think about it. You know, it's a little easier to say yes than if it's some, you know, fat, ugly, giant toad, you know, with warts all over him. Would you sleep with him for a million dollars? I mean, it, you, but. Uh, and it would have been a more interesting movie had it been that, but, but <laughs> nevertheless, there's an interesting question. I mean, what will you do and what won't you do for a million bucks? Um, you'd be amazed at what some people will do. Uh, but, but, but what are these things that you don't want in your life no matter what? And then you engineer the business uh, to uh, match those things. Um, in my case, is employees. Uh, one of the things on Jeff's list was no tie. Um, never, ever, under any circumstances. Pull 'em all out. Never wear 'em again. Refuse. Um, and I doubt. I don't know. Have you gone to a meeting since? Do you own one? Funerals and weddings. Yeah. Um, Not to some people, that may seem stupid. Well, so the so so the question is, if there was. If there was a meeting with $100,000 at stake and it was being held at some place you absolutely had to have a coat and a tie, would he refuse to go? I don't know what his answer is, but his answer, if he really is, his answer ought to be, yeah, I wouldn't go. They either move the meeting or I don't show up, but I'm not wearing no tie, if that's really important to him. And you can, you can do that and get it the way you want it. Uh, because the Hollywood stars you know uh, I just read an article I forget where I read it but premiere I guess yesterday I was getting a haircut uh, uh, the, the list of things that Kevin Costner must have on set for him to agree to do a movie adds like millions of dollars to the budget um, and they had a bunch of it in there it's all got to be part of the contract He's got a nutrition counselor with no credentials, by the way, 4500 bucks a week. And most of the time she sits in a hotel room and watches TV until every once in a while he wants to call her and ask her something. <laughs> and she's got to be there. Or he don't do the deal. Well, you want Kevin Costner, you may, but you, yep, send Barbara. You know, and the window's got to face east. and the, the, Well, see, if they can get away with that, we can all get away with that. Now, I don't think you want to be goofy about it. I mean, you know, I, Robin uh, Leach, you know, the, does a lot of infomercial work. In fact, he would, you know, he would do an infomercial. There's a term for Robin in the industry. But, um, uh, but, you know, one of his deals is he has to have a dressing room with a window. That's the deal. You can't put And I'm going to tell you, there's a lot of sound stages in this country where there ain't no windows that look out anywhere. So you've got to go, you either got to find or you've got to put a window in if you're going to have him come work. Well, yeah. so we can do the same thing. In speaking business, in 1980 is when I first started, say, first class, I only fly first class. I don't fly coach. Hugely rare and controversial at the time. Today, it's becoming more and more commonplace because travel's so ugly that more and more speakers are insisting on it. But at the time, everybody looked at me like I was nuts. You're going to lose a lot of business. Clients aren't going to. The first-class airfare could be as much as half your fee. I mean, it's, it, the whole thing's ridiculous. Associations won't do that. Corporations won't do that. On and on and on and on. I never lost a gig. Not in all the years I've been speaking, have I lost a gig because of that demand. If you've properly marketed yourself and they've decided they want you, yeah, they may bitch and moan and whine and bite their tongue, but they'll go pay it. And so you can, you can get clear and do this the way you want to do it. Um, your earlier question, here would be the biggest single, I think, determinant of overall individual success or failure, would be, the way two things the way you value and use your time Um, time is everything and um, the world is in a giant conspiracy to screw you out of yours Uh, everybody gets up in the morning trying to figure out how to suck up your time Uh, Not literally, of course, but figuratively. I mean, that's the end result of what happens. Uh, In my time management book, I talk about time vampires. Well, the truth of the matter is, everybody's one of them things. Um, And in every environment, it's different. When I was briefly for a few years in an office environment with a lot of people, I mean, they will interrupt you every second of the day if you will let them with trivia. you know, It's one of the reasons even with the small staff that we've had recently, it's one of the reasons I don't like going to the office at all. Uh, First of all, it disturbs the people that are there when you show up. But then, what happens is everybody feels compelled to ask you questions that if you weren't there they'd handle on their own. And a lot of people invite this from their employees by schlepping around these damn cell phones. (laughs) Because that's what happens with the cell phone now. You might as well be there. Is they call you with 56 million questions that if they couldn't get you, they would handle somehow. And more often than not, they would handle it fine. Maybe not exactly the way you would, but it would get handled. You know? I watch these guys on airplanes. That's what they're doing half the time. They're taking calls back from the office answering dumb questions. You know, turn the phone off. Get some re- If you can't be in an airplane for three hours without everybody having to talk to you, you know things are out of control, man. You know, watch the movie. You know, but people. So so people will take your time if you let them, and they'll take as much of it as you will let them take. Nobody will have a short conversation when they have an opportunity to have a long conversation. You know, um, everybody wants to tell you the whole story. It's the uh, we used to joke about it's the you know the conversation starts. They're going to tell you about the problem they got in production, but the conversation starts with I had two eggs and wheat toast for breakfast, and you got to listen to everything from breakfast to here to get to the problem that you really could hear about in thirty seconds. Um, and so, I think you have to be ruthless uh, about safeguarding your time um, and. Just little shifts of minutes. Um, there was a study done, uh, Fortune Magazine, and some, I forget who the other player was, but they did a, a big survey a few years ago of Fortune 500 CEOs. And I think the average, when you average back the feedback, the CEO said that they got in less than 30 productive minutes a day. Now think about that. Some of these guys are getting paid by their stockholders umpteen times millions of dollars if you didn't by the way Parade Magazine last week did their annual deal where they show what different people get paid they do it every year and um, I think like Spielberg was 41.7 million dollars this year in compensation Um, some executive Carla who was the one that was a hundred and some odd million dollars in salary oh it's the CEO of Prudential um, which it, it, here's a great argument right there for not buying insurance. Um, the guy's comp- personal tax comp- tax compensation was like a hundred million dollars, um, and this guy's getting in 30 productive minutes a day. Do the math. You know, you think Michael Jordan was getting overpaid by the basket? Do the math. You talk about somebody getting overpaid. But then do the math if he's able to go to 33 minutes a day and see what it would mean in dollar value. It's enormous. And that's, that's what the whole game is, is. The truth of the matter is we're all woefully unproductive. But little shifts towards productivity can give enormous payoffs. Uh, I talk, just Somebody yesterday said, said to me, they're fairly new in the corporate environment, it's about their second year. They said, how does anybody get anything done? I've been in meetings all day. Well, that's what happens in the corporate environment now, everybody's in meetings. They're all hiding out in there together, you know? and no, nobody does get anything done. Uh, my biggest corporate client, we actually have telephone conferences, sometimes with as many as eight people on the telephone conference, to schedule a telephone conference. <laughs> I'm saying, this is nuts. Now I don't care, I'm billing them, but so fine, if you want to spend a half, you know, 450 bucks, if you want to spend a half an hour on the phone talking about when we're going to talk on the phone, it's okay by me, but this is nuts. But that's what's happened in Bitcoin, and you can't, you know, you can't let it happen to you. So you got to be really, really, t- first of all, you got to place a high value on your time. You, everybody should go through the exercise there's various formulas, there's one in my book, everybody should go through the exercise of trying to actually calculate what your minutes should be worth. If you haven't done it, you should do the math and figure out what your minutes and your hours need to be worth in order for you to have the income you want. That's like square one, so you begin to get more PO'd when people use up those minutes. Because if you don't get mad about this, you don't fix it. I mean, you've got to be kind of aggravated about it. And figuring out what the minutes have to be worth will uh, will help do that. Um, and then you need to begin to adopt processes, procedures. Different ones work for different people, but you need to begin building your time protection system uh, so you can preserve the value of your time um, in, in the corporate environment for example it's putting an end to the dropping by and asking a question and forcing each person that you deal with to make a list and only talk to you once a day in a certain designated time that works in a corporate environment it doesn't work out in the field and it doesn't work in the entrepreneurial environment um, and there's little things and big things but you know, even little things um, there. There's very, if, you have an, if you work in your office and that's where you work then you for example adopt the policy of never meeting anybody in a restaurant for a meal you make them come to your office and then you go from there to the restaurant Cause, so when they're 30 minutes late you can be doing something other than reading a magazine and will they be, yeah of course they'll all be late <laughs> so rather than sitting in the restaurant for 15 minutes you can be on the phone making a phone call and then when they get there let their ass sit in your waiting room and wait for 10 minutes while you finish the phone call. You win, they lose. It's the way it's supposed to be. So you adopt all these processes to safeguard your time and improve your personal productivity. Um, Here are a few of my best ideas. Um, Number one, limit access to you in general. Limit access. Um, and pretty much people should not be getting to you unless they are either already giving you money or are virtually certain to give you money now let me tell you something about that if you have people now getting to you in sizable numbers who are not yet ready to give you money who you have to sell from like square A. You don't have a time management problem, you got a marketing problem. But you definitely have a marketing problem. You should not be on the phone or, and I don't care if you sell industrial chemicals or you're, I don't care what you do, you should not be on the phone or face to face with somebody who on a 1 to 10 scale of readiness to write a check is less than an 8. If you're spending time talking to 2s, 3s, and 4s, uh, you, you, you can never be a high performer in terms of making money. You've got to only talk to sevens, eights, and nines, and preferably eights and nines. And then if you get really good at this, you only talk to tens. Uh, you only get on the phone to work out the details. Uh, or you only go see them in person to pick up the money. Uh, and in many cases, you know, that's what FedEx is for. Uh, if you don't have people complaining about how hard it is to get to you you're not doing this right and from a marketing standpoint here's why it's very important there's no long line to talk to the wise man at the bottom of the mountain (laughs) they want to get to the wise man on the top of the mountain which they must claw and climb and bloody themselves in order to do. And their level of appreciation, their level of respect, their level of compliance, the amount of money they are willing to give is in direct proportion to how high the mountain is and how scarred they get climbing it. Your wisdom is largely measured by how easy or difficult it is to get to you. You've been listening to one of our gold members only podcasts. Make sure you upgrade and become a diamond member and get access to the diamond members only podcast as well. On top of that, you'll also get access to the whole enchilada with all dance courses and so much more. So make sure you upgrade to Diamond now by going to diamondupgrade.com.